Grandpa's born in 1904 and he never fought in any wars too old for the second too young for the first to told him. But he loves to hear them cowboy songs, the ones that just go on and on. He listens till his head would nod and he's a snore. And he says, play me a song. Smiths and Wessons, 45s and Enfields. Saddle them up and ride them down. There's a darkness out on the edge of town. Preacher at the graveside. Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co host, Justin Pennick. And we've got an edge positional review, our first positional review of the offseason. Uh, so we're going to be talking Cave on his rookie season, Aziz, a very weird second year. And I think some other players we're going to talk about don't get kind of the heat that they deserve. And we're going to bring that. Justin, how are you? Bobby Skinner, hello. Um, I am back in New York City slash New Jersey. You are back in the great state of Florida, and you're not going anywhere for a little bit. I'll be traveling to Florida in about two weeks, and I'll be going to some different states. We're filming the Combine this week, which is exciting. I'll be running my 40. Hopefully you'll you'll all see that in about a month. So it's a... Uh, Busy, busy couple weeks, man, between the Giants making the playoffs, us going to the Senior Bowl, I'm going to Arizona, then going to the Daytona 500, filming the Combine, the biggest production of the year that at least I do uh, all year. Um, it's been a very, very busy couple of weeks, and I'm like reflecting on it's probably like some of the busiest couple weeks of my life. How are you? I'm good, and all that stuff is made possible by Evan Boyd. Matt, you man? No, not you the man. Matt, you are the man. And then Tyrese Gilmore. Of the Gilmore Girls. Justin, who are these people? These wonderful people. I guess it's been a hot minute, hot second, since we've been able to give some shout-outs to our Patreon members. Patreon.com backslash Giants slash Giants. I'm doing that thing where I say backslash again when there's no need. Patreon.com slash Giants. Two dollars a month, plus month tiers. You get to hang out with us live while we record the shows. Bobby Skinner will send you some stickers, magnets in the mail. There's some shirt raffles that you want to be part of. Patreon.com slash Talking Giants. Before we get into the edge positional review, I am officially worried that we are going to lose one of or both of Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale. Uh, I always said Jim Irsay worried me with Wink Martindale that those guys would vibe. Well, Wink is right now like the betting odds favorite to get that head coaching job. But I still think they're trying to get... Jeff Saturday is the head coach, but there might be some middle ground that ends up with Wink. And then with the Cardinals, Mike Kafka is one of three fi- finalists between Lou uh, Anarumo and, and Brian Flores. And to me, I if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm probably choosing Mike Kafka, even though Anarumo might be more like ready for a head coaching job. Brian Flores, you, we know how toxic he was with Tua. That could be even to a bigger extent with Kyler, and you look at what Mike Kafka did with the Giants' offense, and it was tailoring it, continuing throughout the season to tailor it to what the team's strengths were and it adjusting to the way teams other teams adjusted. And Kyler Murray is their biggest investment, and Mike Kafka would be the biggest investment in into him. Yeah, it's not setting up nice because Jim Irsay, like you said, Jim Irsay and Wink Martindale, I could see them being like the same person like just ultimately just bonding over a bottle of scotch and a good time. 
And then the fact that two of the other finalists for the coaching can you know for the coaching uh, job in Arizona, the two other guys are defensive guys, and Mike Kafka is the only offensive guy that is left out of the three. That's what makes me ultimately worried about that. So this is I'm not gonna. I'm not, even if it happens, I'm not going to panic, but you know, I'm not going to really fully react to it until it happens. But I do think one of the two, at least one of the two is, is going to leave. Yeah. It's not the end all be all if we do lose them, but it, there's no way beating around the bush. It would suck to lose both of those guys or just one of them. Um, with cat, like with, with, Kafka, it's less so because it is the Brian Dable offense. You know, Mike Kafka, Mike Kafka came in and learned that the, the Dable offense, you could promote tyranny. But again, you, promoting a guy doesn't mean that he's going to copy and paste and, and do the, those right things. And right. He, Kafka brought some outside influence from the Chiefs uh, into that offense. Yeah, And then on the defensive side, you can go one of two ways from promoting in. You could go outside the building, but I, I haven't done any research on outside the building hires because I'm just hoping we don't lose any of them. Jerome Henderson, who's been in a lot of different systems, who I th- would be my favorite to to get the job. And then Drew Wilkins, who is the Wink protege. But I can also see Wilkins maybe wanting to go to with Wink to be the defensive coordinator for Wink. Um, and also, just because he's a protege does not mean he's going to run a... The, it's hard. You got to have balls to run that Wink Martindale defense, oh, and yeah. we've seen with James Betcher in the past that he didn't have the balls to run the Todd Bowles Arizona defense that he ran in Arizona. So, uh, it's it, it's a it's a loss to lose either of those. Not the end of the world, but it would be a loss to lose either of those guys. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that Kafka interviewed so well. You know, I'm thinking like uh, this is his first year legitimately getting head coaching interviews and. Even even a year where it is still Brian Dable's offense, and you think that organizations would would know that and they would recognize that, I'm just surprised that he's interviewed so well through through the, this is his first job, first time actually getting like legit head coaching interviews at all. So I'm surprised that he is one of the three finalists. I thought it was kind of for sure safe that he would be here. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll we should hopefully we'll have some updates for that by Friday. Like these, I've never seen a coaching search searches get dragged out for so long that weren't because the other coaches were in the Super Bowl. Right. Like on the Cardinals side, Flores and Anarumo, they're ready to go. They are not in the Super Bowl. On the Colts side, do they have anybody from I don't think Gannon or 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 the Eagles guys are going anywhere. And Bianami's not going. No. And Spagnola's got a call. So yeah, neither one are being held up by the Super Bowl results. Unless Gannon is a hire for the is a is possibly with the Colts. I got to check that. But I remember him saying he would. We hired Brian Dable last year right before the Senior Bowl, and I remember fans were like, well, this is a little too late. We're, we're up against the clock here of moving along with the offseason. This is after the Senior Bowl, and it, and it could be now it's stemming like a, a, a week after the Senior Bowl once we get closer to Friday. So Yeah, so it'll be uh, – and Kafka's interview will be today when you're listening to this on Tuesday. All right, Justin, let's get into our first positional review of the offseason. And I figured we start with Edge – you got, you know, your first overall, your first draft pick in there, uh, your second round pick from last year, and then a couple other guys. We're going to start with Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Yeah. Fifth overall pick uh, under the new regime, you know, in the 2022 draft. He played 14 games. He missed, obviously, had that M- uh, MCL sprain in the preseason. He played 14 games, had 49 tackles, four sacks, six tackles for loss, 13 QB hits, and 18 pressures. 
Justin, he had a good, not great rookie season. And honestly, he was the fourth best pass rusher on the front after Dexter Aziz and Leonard Williams. Um, uh, not talking about volume wise, just in, in production. Uh, a streaky rusher who 77% of his total, you know, uh, production came in seven games. That being said, I definitely think it's a more successful rookie season than Aziz Ojolari, uh, even though Aziz Ojolari had 10 sacks, because Kayvon had games where he was really, really good and was winning from start to finish, where Aziz Ojolari never had a dominant game besides maybe the fourth quarter of the Panthers game, uh, which was the ultimate garbage time where they were putting P.J. Walker in. Uh, I definitely think it was a more successful season than Aziz Ojolari, but rightfully so. One was taken fifth, one was taken 50th. Yeah, I think you saw at times the superstar potential that Kayvon Thibodeau does have. And like you said, he, he took over games. The The game that sticks out to me the most was the Dallas game, the Thanksgiving game, where he just tore apart Tyler Smith. There was a 38% pressure rate after that game, and he had five QB hits in that game. Five of his 13 QB hits did come in one game this year on Thanksgiving in Dallas. So, and that was just a game where he just really took over. And then also playing well Sunday night football and that strip sack touchdown. Like, that is the difference between the Giants winning on Sunday night football and losing on Sunday night football or that game being a lot closer than what it was. So, primetime cave on, you know, he, he came out in the spots that we wanted him to come out. And it was also kind of positive and nice that he really showed out in divisional games, too. Yeah, he was his best on primetime, you know, the Thanksgiving game and then the Sunday night football game versus the Commanders. Um, he had 11.9% uh, win rate and then a 5.5% pressure rate. Both of those were fourth on the front after Dex, uh, Aziz, and Leonard Williams. Um, but again, it was big. It was, you know, his his win rate was 2% higher than Aziz Ojolari was as a rookie. Um, the thing that I want to see out of him as he progresses, I feel like he, he needs to start working the, the, working the corner more. Like, I agree. I, like that that commander sack. We need to see more plays like that. Not talking about strip sack ending up in a touchdown, but just working the corner. And he just didn't do that enough. He either went to his bull or he tried to work that outside in rip. Uh, you know, I think that could be an adjustment of like, hey, these tackles, they're more athletic. They're going to get back with you. You know, I think he's got to trust his speed and, and the ability to get around the corner. Because at the end of the day, that's how you win in the NFL consistently is by bending that edge, pushing that outside shoulder, dipping low. That's how you're going to have to win consistently. And that's the step that Kayvon Thibodeau needs to take uh, in, in his growth uh, you know, for his second year. Now, part of that will be playing with more power, getting stronger, like he needs to get stronger, even though he did play with good strength, I thought. But adding that strength and then adding that strength and then trusting your speed to be able to push that outside shoulder, trusting it to be able to bend around. I know he's not the most, he has the most bend in the world, but he's got the get off to do it. He's got to trust himself that I can win around the corner. Yeah, 100%. Kayvon Thibodeau's strip sack touchdown versus Washington was two and a half seconds. At the time, it was tied for the 13th quickest sack in the NFL so far this year. And that was not an unblocked sack. That was not an untouched sack or an untouched pressure that Kayvon Thibodeau had. That tackle was going back for a true pass set. Kayvon Thibodeau beats him around the edge. And it doesn't just beat him around the edge just with this speed, but he engages with his hands first, kind of tosses him to the side, but then relies on that speed, dips the edge a little bit, gets to the quarterback strip sack. So I agree with you. There were certain points this year 
where I was just getting super frustrated because Kayvon Thibodeau, is, he just turned 22 in the month of December. He won't be 23 until this upcoming December, so he's super, super young. I thought that this year was going to be a year where Kayvon was going to kind of rely on that speed because he is on the younger side. He is still young. He was 21 years old throughout this regular season, and I thought the strength was going to be a thing that is was going to come for him and I still think he is going to get stronger, he's going to get bigger, he's going to get more experience in the NFL, but I thought he was going to be kind of a little bit reliant on his speed, but it was actually the opposite, where at times this year, Bobby, I I wanted him to use that speed more similar to you, because I feel like he was just getting too bogged down by blocks at, at certain times, and I think that's also where you see that holding problem come from. He's just too willing to go into the chest of certain offensive linemen so that when he actually does get some sort of momentum, they're holding him around his neck, and then those problem those holding problems kind of kind of arise yeah and his most production came from that outside in rip and that's where we saw a lot of the holding stuff and it's almost it's kind of legal to hold on those like you go look at the rules it's it's i don't i don't like it but it's kind of legal to do it and the better tackles are going to do it but he did have his most production there whether it was against tyler smith charles leno from washington um and even even uh uh, versus green bay he had some success on that so like he's got the ability to open up the hips of tackles and then work inside like and that's where that production came from. But he needs to consistently be like, "Hey, I'm opening up the hips of this tackle, but I'm still going to get around the corner on these guys. I have the get off. I have the athleticism. I have the strength to get around those corners." And then you mix in that outside end rip move, or you just win cleanly yeah. uh, outside in. Um, so is that what Kayvon can do to try and stop tackles from holding him so much? Is to incorporate more of more of that speed element? Well, yeah, because the rip move is like. That's when they're allowed to hold you as you open that speed. One, just try and win around the corner more consistently. But when you start winning around the corner, well, guess what? Now your inside moves, they're not going to be ripping through the tackles inside shoulder. You're going to use that left hand, jack up that inside shoulder, and you're going to win cleanly and get sacks that way. And that's how he's going to have to get more sack production. That's how he's going to have to get more QB hits and just be a better pass rusher and get to that level that we drafted cave on Thibodeau to be. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I have, um, cave on Thibodeau logged only 40 less snaps than Aziz Ojolari's rookie year. And here's how they kind of compare stat wise. Cave had four sacks. Aziz had eight. They both had 13 QB hits. Cave had 18 pressures. Aziz had 27 pressures. So Aziz similar. It, it, this is so kind of, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, such the disparity in differences of pressure numbers here. And even though Kayvon Thibodeau logged only 40 less snaps than Aziz Ojolari, I do think Kayvon had more pass rushing snaps than Aziz Ojolari from Aziz's rookie year. So they had the same amount of QB hits, which I which I like. A lot of those QB hits did come against Thanksgiving against Dallas. Kayvon had more moments where he took over games that had more game impact, game changing moments. But still, those that pressure number we got on Aziz for not getting enough pressure on the quarterback consistently. That pressure number, the difference between Aziz and, and Kayvon from their rookie years is pretty significant. It's nine right there. Six tackles for loss for Kayvon versus eight. Two forced fumbles, one for Aziz. Five passes deflected, which I think is kind of a product to Wink's defense, but also a good job on Kayvon. Five passes deflected for Kayvon, two for Aziz, and then they both had 49 tackles 
on the dot. So really similar rookie years besides Aziz had double the sacks and then nine pressures. Nine pressures is the big difference there. Yeah, but Kayvon won more, but Kayvon also got shut out of games. Like as as a fact, like there was a streak where he was just getting totally shut out of games. And that's where, you know, he is a streaky player right now. Like that's what he was as a rookie year was a streaky player where there was games where you did not hear from Kayvon Thibodeau. And that's what we need him to get better at. You know, we need him to get to a consistent basis where it's like, no, like we need we need a bad game for you to be like to pressure the the quarterback three or four times, you know, and consistently consistently get to that quarterback and then finish plays. And again, that's going to happen around the corner in the run game. Uh, I thought he really took advantage of tight ends, which you should never apologize for. Um, and not just like took advantage of them to set a good edge, but like had tackles for a loss, you know, versus the Commanders, you know, jacking up a play, forcing a, you know, forcing a running back to bounce. I thought that helped a lot with his get off and his he, the way he strikes with his, you know, that two-handed punch that he uses. I thought that worked really well. And then as far as just setting the edge against tackles, I thought he was solid there. Like that's where he was much better than his even just Aziz Ojolari now. Like much better there. Uh, and I think that's where he needs to that's another place where he needs to step up his game though. As like, hey, be a great edge setter. Like force, you know, like squeeze down that gap. But I thought he played the run pretty damn well this whole season. Yeah, I I'd agree. I would I'd agree with that for sure. There were there weren't a lot of plays where I'm like, oh, Kayvon's getting his ass kicked there, and you know, there there goes a run for for ten plus yards. So, yeah, man. Uh, if you were to tell me that. Maybe not just looking at the stats, but if you were to tell me that this would be the year that Kayvon Thibodeau would have where, have where he's taking over some games, there's some games where he's kind of missing an MIA, I, I, w- I would take Kayvon Thibodeau's result of his rookie year if you were to outline it to me this way before the start of this year, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you saw the ability to dominate, you right. know, and that doesn't, there's, there's not just random edges who just dominate games. They don't do that. You know, now obviously you have to get to a more consistent level, but edge is one of those positions where you don't just have random game. Like a wide receiver can have a game where he has 120 yards. A back can have a game where he does all this. A linebacker could, you know, run into some success. You don't see edge players, uh, and the tackle position is pretty good in the NFL, just dominate games. Like when's, when's the last bad Giants edge player or average edge player to to have games where it's like, okay, this guy has superstar potential. They're yeah, not I mean, there. No, they're not. And even like Marcus Golden's 2019 was a double-digit sack year with 30-plus QB hits. And even that year, there was never like, wow, Marcus Golden really took over this game and won this game for the Giants. Yet, Kayvon Thibodeau had multiple plays this year uh, against the Ravens, um, uh, against the Jaguars. I know there was a pressure towards the end of the game that was really kind of like a uh, an, an underrated pressure, a couple plays where he was getting held during that Jaguar game too. You mentioned the Packers, obviously the Washington game. So there and the Dallas game, if the offense just didn't didn't stink that game. So um, you know there were a lot of moments this year where Kayvon did take over the game and and key in key moments and pivotal spots as well. Which yeah. I'll I'll take that. You got I I agree. Growing on it, expanding upon it, being more consistent because that's where you know when I talked about the differences in pressure, you know Kayvon and also. Very weird. This is why, you know, all of you are going to listen to this and you're like, oh, Pro Football Reference only measures 18 pressures. Well, PFF has them with like 40 and has them, you know, just one less pressure than Aiden Hutchinson. PFF totals sacks, QB hits, and hurries as total. So that's why it says 40. I think with PFF or Pro Football Reference, he would be at 417. 
27, 30, 35. He would be at 35 with pro football reference. Yeah. So, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson has and Kayvon Thibodeau almost have identical pass rush win rates on true pass sets. Um, PFF also has their total number of pressures almost identical, but pro football reference has Hutchinson with like 11 more pressure. So that's where it's a little frustrating that that two different sites that a lot of people use, they're so different on two different players that are going to be compared throughout their entire careers. Um, but nevertheless, still happy with Kayvon Thibodeau's rookie year. Um, do need that consistently, kind of like we said. I do. I, I, this is what I never want to end, one of my favorite parts of Kayvon Thibodeau's rookie year is that he has kind of like become the villain, and I like that. You got to oh. back it up with the play on the field. Like, I never want the feud with all-time great offensive linemen. Him just not knowing who they are, I never want that to end. Never. Snow Angels was an amazing moment. I don't care what anybody says. That was hilarious. Um, but, like all good trash talkers, you got to be able to back it up. If back you're like, up. if you play at this level every year, then you don't back it up. But we, we expect him to grow. Obviously. And a guy who we did see grow, but it was frustrating, is next on this list with Aziz Ojolari, who played in seven games this year. He had 14 tackles, five and a half sacks, three tackles for a loss, seven QB hits, and 13 pressures. Justin, he only had one game where he played over 60% of the snaps this year. And he only played 20 in the playoffs. Um, He started the season on PUP. And training camp on pup with a hamstring injury. And then in the Giants-Jets joint practice, he missed uh, 11 days later. He left with a calf strain and missed the first two games of the season. He comes back week three. In week four, he has another calf strain that puts him on IR and he misses nine weeks. Comes back for three weeks. Gets a quad injury in the Vikings game. Never played more than 12 snaps the rest of the season in a single game after that. It's so frustrating because Aziz Ojolari made... Big strides as a player. Big strides. Um, You know, like when you look at his pass rush production, if you just gave him the same amount of pass rush snaps that he had as a rookie season, Justin, he would have had 15 sacks, 20 QB hits, and 36 pressures. Now, you can't always do the on-rate stuff. It doesn't always translate. But it just shows how well he was playing. And it was very noticeable. But the biggest but ever is that the guy didn't play. And it wasn't just one injury that made him miss eight games. It was different injuries. And that's going to lead to people talking about, did adding 10 pounds lead to that? Is this just who he is as a player? So it's very frustrating. But this is why this edge... This this reason right here, the injury reason, and the next two players we're going to talk about is why the edge room still needs to be invested in. Like, it still needs a, a investment in And if the Giants want to take an edge player in the first round... There's nothing wrong with it if that's the guy, the best player on the board. Yeah, man, it, it, it's frustrating. Was it the hamstring injury that started it all in the summer? Yeah, he started on pup with the hamstring injury. I feel like that when you, whenever you hear hamstring in training camp, I don't care what position you play, that's just a really, really tough way to start the year. But Aziz Ojolari was still extremely impressive uh despite the limited reps uh, you know you outlined it i have some other stats i wanted to find some stats that weren't necessarily centered around oh you got to you know you got to get the volume stats like pressures you know uh, qb hits and sacks and stuff like that but he was 18th in the nfl in pff pass rush win rate which i don't really like looking at uh pa- pass rush win rate uh but again this is just an example of 
that's not necessarily dedicated, you know, predicated on the amount of snaps that you have. So he was 18th in the NFL this year in PFF pass rush win rate, and despite having 280 less pass rush snaps in 2022 versus 2001, Ojolari had 13 QB hits, six more than 2000 or six less. Wait, I'm sorry. Um, six less. Six, six less than 2021. Um. Ojolari also ranked 10th in PFF's pass rush productivity metric and in true pass sets as well. So a true breakout year for Aziz Ojolari. That's going to have to wait. Yeah, I mean, he went from pass rush win rate from 9.9% to 15.6, which is a very big jump. His pass rush production went from 6, uh, or pass rush percentage went from, or pressure percentage went from 6.3 to 9.3. And like I said, the, the on pace, if he just gave the same amount of pass rush snaps, are like all pro type numbers you know um and it's not just the numbers right like we saw a noticeable difference in his play his hand hand usage was much improved you know where he didn't need just need to have to be able to work the corner around guys like his hand usage was able to win and they put him on some islands he also added point like there's games that i don't know if we win we don't win without aziz ojalari you know he had three forced fumbles one versus the bears that led to seven points probably still win that game Another forced fumble um, in the Commanders game that we tied, that led to seven points. And guess what? With a loss on that, maybe the playoff scenarios are a little bit different. And then in the second Commanders game that won we won, he had that strip sack at the end. That took off, a you know, they would have had fourth and 15. They would have kicked a field goal. That took off three points. Like, he added to wins. And this year, he won in a variety of different ways. Uh, was way better at the point of attack, disengaging. Where as a rookie, it's like once he got hands on him, he was done. But like he was able to bend the corner, work inside matchups. He just was like a a much improved pass rusher, and it was noticeable with your eyes. It comes up in the numbers too, but it was very noticeable within your eyes. And like you said, it sucks that like he essentially had a breakout year that didn't break out. Yeah. And it's crazy how this is the second year where we didn't even get a second year of Aziz Ojolari, but still, this is a second year where he was able to put up the sack numbers without having like the insane pressure, like the the insane advanced pressure numbers back him up. So maybe this is just the kind of player that Aziz Ojolari is going to be, and I'm not complaining. Like I I am not complaining. I I would love a guy that's creeping up to double-digit sacks every single year of his career, and just because he's not breaking 20 QB hits, that's not going to kill me, especially as we're looking at Aziz Ojolari as hopefully this team's number two pass rusher. If this guy, I know, uh, this may be a bad comparison. I want, I want to... It all comes down to health, man. I mean, he was second on the team in sack playing seven games. If he, it's, it all comes down to health, which is, I hate talking about health with guys, but it, it really comes down to that. Was this year a fluke? Or is he, you know, and he going to have more years like his rookie yeah. season where he played the whole game or a whole season? Or is he going to be a guy who misses five to eight games every single season? I was about to compare Aziz Ojolari as I was stumbling there. I was about to compare him to Hassan Reddick, and I wanted to be careful before I did it. And I actually think at least 2020 and 2021, Hassan Reddick is a good comparison for Aziz Ojolari. He may just be this type of player that gets 12 and a half sacks, 11 sacks, and 
16 and like 18 QB hits. And that's what Hassan Reddick did 2020 and 2021, the last two years respectively. And then obviously just popped off with the Eagles this year with 16 sacks and 26 QB hits, which if you're breaking that 20 plus QB hit barrier with 10 plus sacks, you're like one of the league's pass rushers in my eyes. So, you know, I, I, I always have trouble saying that if you do if you do get a lot of sacks but you don't get that 20 plus QB hit barrier that you may have trouble consistently being good in the NFL but there's players like that that are good every year like Hassan Reddick and hopefully Aziz if he can play 16 games if he can play 17 games and be healthy and that's really what it comes down to maybe that's the kind of player that he can be and I am 100% on board for that in the run game he's Still is and probably always will be an issue setting the edge. He's not going to set a good edge. He's not going to have dominant reps. You know, his best his his reps will come from when you bounce. He's able to disengage. Um, I'd like to see him actually use though. Make like let's run some run. You know, we saw teams run run blitzes versus the Giants, and I know it's a passing league, but you know, have him shoot some gaps because that's where he can win in the run game, Justin. Yeah. All for it. I, I wanted to ask you how he how he did against the run this year because you know we just barely we barely saw him on the field. The Giants' run defense is bad, so you know if the Giants' run defense is so bad, you know you you, you kind of presume everybody's bad against the run, but that's not true. Yeah, I mean he's an average at best edge setter. Uh, yeah. He's not going to bring the power and you know close down a gap. Where you do know, you think make... putting on the weight helped him? I think he had more strength at the point of attack as a pass rusher. Okay. Do you think it helped him in the run game at all? Yeah, a little bit. I don't think I don't think he's ever going to be some dominant edge setter, you know. But I, I think it helped somewhat. Like he wasn't there was there was no like live. There was some bad plays, but there was never like we'll talk about Ocean Zimenez where it's like this guy's or Ellison Smith where it's like those guys are just liabilities in the run game. Right. Right. I do think it's a little bit of a stretch. Because I do think first round, when you take when you when you're when you're talking about your first round pick, I do think need comes into it way more than any of the other picks in the draft. I I wouldn't be pissed off like slamming my hands against the table if the Giants feel like there's a really good edge rusher there at twenty five, but part of me would feel a little salty. At twenty five, at twenty five, yes. I'm but, so invested in Aziz and Kayvon right now. But here's where what I'm saying is if the Giants had like the, the eighth or ninth pick, like a lot of people projected to happen this year. We t- we talked about in the way too early draft preview because uh, there's some edge guys in there. It's like if the Giants are in spot to take one of these guys, Kayvon, Thibodeau, and Aziz Ojalari are not stopping me from trying to get an amazing pass rush is what I'm saying. So at 25, I don't foresee them taking an edge. You know, we we just barely dipped our toe into draft prep, so I, I can't say for sure. Maybe there's some guy I fall in love who will be there in 25. But yeah, I, I, I don't I don't foresee that. But it's still like a second round pick. You know, that could be like there there needs to be investment into the edge room. Maybe not all in this year, but like as as this team builds, like there there needs to be major investments. I think into the edge room which can uh, still. Yeah, I I'd agree, but I still am very much invested in. Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau being the pass rushing tandem that we think and know that they they can be. I'm still pretty invested in that. I'm not at this point just because Aziz Ojolari had an injury ridden year. I'm still I'm not at this point where it's just you know what 
If he's healthy next year, great. If he's not, then we have a backup plan to to go with there. I, I still kind of am invested in their futures together. But here's my thing. A third edge to me is not a backup plan for Aziz is adding a third edge. And I and I'd agree with that. Yeah, because having Jihad Ward as your as that number one edge rusher coming off the bench, uh that's that's not great. Like that is that is a very big drop off. So the number three edge isn't isn't I'm not treating it as a reflection on Aziz Ojolari. I'm just treating that number three edge, and I think you are too, treating that number three edge and upgrading that as in this is just what's going to make the team better. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you have if you're here's here's what I'll say. Best player available is a lot of talk and not a whole lot of action. It's not that's not how it goes. But if Edge is best player available, I'm not blinking twice. I don't care if, you know, I have a corner rate of slightly below. Like, I am taking best player available Edge. All right. Justin, before we get into Jihad War, today's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek. Live events are back, which means you get $20 off tickets at SeatGeek with promo code GIANTS. If you don't know what SeatGeek is, they're a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple. We've got the apps on our phone. Uh, we actually use it for some Daytona stuff, which will be there in a couple of weeks. Whether it's football, concerts, basketball, baseball, festivals, NASCAR, or more. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. Um, I might go to the Nets, a couple of Nets games now that the cancer is gone. <laughs> we'll oh, see boy. what happens. By the way, I, I I am I am. You're broken. No, no, I'm I'm not broken actually at all. Like I'm I'm in I'm enthralled. Like I would I would not trade Kevin Durant under any circumstances. But I actually am so happy that he's gone. Like I still would have brought Kevin Durant. If you asked me if I would do it all over again, I absolutely would because I still have Kevin Durant on my team. In parentheses for now. Yeah. But I mean, just what a enjoy Dallas Bon Voyage. SeatGeek oh rates gosh. every ticket from 0 to 10 to make sure you're getting a good deal. Green means good, red means bad. Every ticket on SeatGeek is backed by their buyer guarantee so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Don't worry, we've got the hookup. Use code GIANTS for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code GIANTS. Make sure you click the link in the description to download the app. I've been saying, uh, oh, bon voyage, have a great time from Step Brothers. I've been, I don't know why I've just been saying that frequently recently. In all contexts. I think I said it. and I think it's been on my brain, too. Maybe you heard me say it. And wow. That got it on your brain. Good for us. Uh, let's talk about Jihad Ward, the first guy off the bench. He was, basically, he was a starter all year, essentially. Career year. He'll be 29 years old. He played the most snaps of his career this year. He had 43 tackles, 3 sacks, 7 tackles for loss, 13 QB hits, and 15 pressures. He is a good run defender, undoubtedly. He is a good run defender. Not a dominant run defender, but a good run defender. He had seven tackles for loss on the season. Six of those tackles for loss came in the first six games. He had one in the last 11. Oh, Justin, Jihad Ward should be, like we said going into the season last year, great vibes guy. Awesome. Want him in the locker room. That's awesome. He should be, at best, a fourth edge on the team. In pass rush win rate, he had 5.9%. That's yeah, not good. 57th out of 57 that qualified under hit under 50% of like 600 pass rush snaps. 57th of 57. 
Presser percentage, 3.8%. 56 of 57. He added zero, zero pass rush. He did not help this team as a pass rusher at all. Ran into a play here or there. But he adds no pass rush, and he is a good, not great run defender. I think he got overvalued as a run defender because our other edges aren't great run defenders. Um, and even that, as good as he can set an edge and stuff, well, teams can run counters, and he's not going to chase a play down from the backside. You know, he's just very slow. He's, I mean, he's 287 pounds, so I get it, right? So I, I can have him on my roster. Vise, but he, he should not give a penny more than the minimum, which is what he got last season. And he should not be the third edge on this team. I don't care what they do. We'll talk about free agency. The third edge could be a spot. Hopefully you can turn your lights back on in there, Justin. Uh, but he just adds zero as a pass rush. He's not a good player. We all love him because of the vibes and the videos and stuff. And the middle fingers. He is a flat-out bad edge player in the NFL. Yeah, and, and we knew that coming into this year, but he was he, he was fun. He was a fun personality, and that's why people liked him. And uh, he he was a gritty player. Uh, and I'm trying I'm trying to be nice here because I I agree with all of what you're saying. He was a gritty player, and the Giants like gritty players. And again, he was like a he did good stuff for them in the run game, no doubt. He he's wasn't a villain. making the plays he made the first six games of the season. You can't erase those, but he. He did. He was a solid run defender, a good run defender for them. And he was like the villain of the Giants without being that good and having any kind of like taking a, uh, and having any attention. Like Kayvon Thibodeau takes up attention because he's a first round pick and he actually has like good moments throughout a game. So Jihad Ward was fun. But let me if, ask you this: If the I Giants was, won six games and Jihad Ward had the exact same season, people would hate Jihad Ward. Oh yeah, yeah. And for I don't sure. think it's it's right. It's right. He's a minimum. Con, he's a minimum contract vet minimum you know so we would be on the other side being like you know he wasn't brought in here to be the second edge all season he was brought in here to be a run defending fourth guy yeah yeah so he, i mean he was jahab ward was all right um but I, he definitely is like hyped up he, he you know just to let you know uh what he had three sacks this year that was tied for the most sacks that he had his entire career uh, he has the most tackles for loss in his entire career. He had the most QB hits in his entire career, the most combined and solo tackles, and the most pressures throughout his career. And even those totals weren't all that impressive. But let me ask you this, Bobby. I know the Giants were really stripped against the cap and could not do anything this year. I, I, I understand that. Jerry Hughes, that's a guy from Buffalo that I thought made sense that the Giants should have brought in. Uh, had his a great season for Houston. His 2000, he was one of the best, like, low-key one of the best, not one of the best pass rushers in, in the league, but one of the best underrated pass rushers in the league. He had nine sacks, 10 QB hits, 10 tackles for loss this year for, for the Texans. His cap hit was $3.75 million. Uh, Jihad Ward's cap hit was basically the vet minimum of a little over, little north of $1 million. Would you have spent the little extra money to bring in Jerry Hughes and have that solid to to good number three edge rusher versus Jihad Ward. If I had the hindsight of knowing we're going to make the playoffs possibly, but with the if I if I put myself back in that spot not knowing the Giants were going to go to the playoffs, I don't know. Like I I there's like it's Jerry Hughes is still a stopgap with that 2-year contract. Right. Um you know, so but yeah, Jerry I mean Jerry Hughes is Jerry Hughes is like a still a really good player. Yeah. Um you know, he had a, like because he played on the Texans, it wasn't noticed, but he was awesome for the Texans this year. Uh, so, 
No, if I put myself back in that month, I mean, they were they wanted to get some help on the O line, and and the rest, I mean, the entire rest of free agency was minimum contract. Yeah. So, but even for this year, like the Giants taking that step between spending the the vet minimum on edge number three, and then maybe even spending you know close to a a one or a two year deal. And now, basically, the the Jerry Hughes contract. Bobby said it's two years. It is two years, but the cap hit of this year is six point two five million dollars. Uh, the Texans can save five million dollars if they cut him. So it's basically a one year deal. Good job on the Texans negotiating that. And he's also thirty four years old. Hopefully but, they do cut him. I'd bring him in for a a, a one year six million dollar deal or something. Why not? Um, you know his cap hit this year is a six point two um, million dollar. If 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 the Texans do decide to keep him, but. I, the Giants could take that next step in the in the edge market. Maybe not necessarily if you want to look to draft somebody. They obviously can do that too. But I I am very much in favor of getting the the one year the one year stopgap at edge rusher that can maybe get you some snaps and maybe get you some good production. Not Jahad Ward, but literally it it boggles my mind that Hassan Reddick has had double digit sacks the last two years. And even coming off the year that he had at Carolina two years ago, he got a one-year contract and then got another one-year contract. So the there are I, I don't think NFL teams want to pay edge rushers big money, and edge rushers, good edge rushers, are unfortunately feeling the effects of that. Jerry Hughes being one of them, even though he's in his mid-30s, still well, had a lot of juice most left. Most of them don't hit free agency. Yeah, that's that's the thing too. But even with the ones that do hit free agency, NFL teams don't want to pay them, give them multi-year extensions, a la you know what happened with the Giants with Olivier Vernon. We don't want to be in that situation again. But I am very much in favor of a one or a two-year deal with a lot of you know with the, maybe somewhat of a little bit of a larger cap hit in year one, and that's the Giants' edge rusher number three solution for next year. I'm down for that. Yeah, but you could still bring Jihad Ward back on the minimum. Correct. Correct. This that is not. Uh, this has to do with edge rusher number three. Not yeah, I don't want him being number three. I'd be disappointed no, if he's at a number three, even if it meant drafting somebody in the third round. I got again. Well, I hate talking about draft right now, but yeah, I, I it. The edge room will be ve- will be all up on Kayvon Thibodeau making progress because he he's not a number three, and Aziz Ojolari are staying healthy. But he was fun. Jahad Ward was fun. They're just a fun personality. Very fun. Yeah. Um next on this list, O'Shane Zimenez, six foot four, two hundred fifty four pounds, twenty six years old. He also played the most snaps of his career this year. Yeah. He had twenty four tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss, eight QB hits, and a, and nine pressures. <sighs> we talked about cave you know, uh, Jihad War being a pass rusher. O'Shane was damn near just as bad. Um he was objectively a bad slash net negative player for the Giants. Uh, you know, his sack, the one versus Carolina was good. It was like a second effort when Leonard Williams forced Baker Mayfield out of the pocket. And then the other one was a Hail Mary. His pass rush win rate was 8.1%. So the, the for the players that played the same amount of pass rush reps as him, he was 79th of 84. Presser percentage, he was 3.7%, 81st of 85 with his snaps. That was actually a 0.1% less than Jahad Ward. He didn't have any quick wins in the pass rush game all year. For this guy who's supposed to be a pass rush specialist, he's a good athlete. He didn't have a, any quick wins in the pass rush game. Any. He was a net negative, and he was a flat-out bad run defender, too. You know, he was 64th out of 76 in run stop percentage, even though he did have some he did have some plays here or there. The reason why there was some Ocean Zimenez is good thing in the beginning of the season, he had the sack versus Aquanu, which was good. But... 
all of his plays that we remembered were him lining up at edge and them giving them these cover zero looks, him dropping out and basically like running into a screen play. Like that, that those are where the positive plays came from. Um, but he was a flat out bad player for the Giants. And, you know, we didn't hear anything from him in the pa- in the last 10 games of the year. Like he, he had the sack on the Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary. Very cool. After that, we didn't hear a, a, a peep from him. And I think the large portion of the frustration with O'Shane Zimenez is, hey, Justin, hey, Bobby, why are you getting so emotional about O'Shane Zimenez? It's because they had a player on the roster who's better than O'Shane Zimenez that they just chose not to play all year, and that is Quincy Roche. And by the way, Quincy Roche got six defensive snaps this year, arguably made more of an impact on like a fourth down stop, third down stop in the Jacksonville Jaguars game than O'Shane Zimenez has made like in his entire career. Quincy Roche won a football game for us last year against the Raiders. O'Shane Zimenez costed us a football game last year against the Chiefs by jumping offside. And is younger and had contract control. So for you, you guys acted like it was Lawrence Taylor. No, I acted like every player on the roster matters. And Quincy Roche, I'm rooting for him in Pittsburgh. I don't think he's going to be some great player. But for what the Giants roster was, he was the better option. Undoubtedly in the run game. And I thought better in the pass rush game by a good margin too. He was just a better pass rusher. And like you said, he had six snaps this year. One was a huge fourth down stop versus the Jaguars in the run game. He was he was a better uh, uh, option for the Giants to play than O'Shane Zimenez. There's no doubt about that. You cannot argue that. The only argument is like, well, the coaches didn't think so. That's the only argument. That's an L for them. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah the only note that I have on O'Shane Zimenez in my document is goodbye. Yeah, there's no reason to have him back, even on the minimum. I I agree. What 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 would be the point of bringing him back to cut him in camp? Yeah, it was that was we we thought we were going crazy in camp, just saying why he was getting like first team reps when Kayvon and uh, Aziz were hurt. He gets second team rep. We're like, what is going on? Like we were we were excited after Quincy Roche's rookie year excited that he could maybe be an edge rusher number three and by the way we were at camp and roche looked better than O'Shane. um worst third round pick of the dave gettleman era matt Parrott or O'Shane Zimenez. both are ve- both were comp picks too so that it was right in the same range but O'Shane Zimenez is like i, I saw i saw on his profile bar reference page he's a top 100 pick so was Parrott though O'Shane Zimenez is worse though whole 100 percent Parrot, Parrot, definitely not a good third round pick, but yeah, I, I would, uh, yeah. Parrot, Both Parrot, were very similar a- players where it's like they, well, I guess Ocean had really good production at Old Dominion. Um, his Old Dominion film was good. Like, I'm, 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 I'm surprised that we were saying four years later that he's this bad. Like, I really am. I didn't have huge expectations for him, but I did think he would be a better player than what he is. Like, I thought he would f- fit in as that third rotational yeah. guy. Um, and he just, he just never did. He had some good stuff his rookie season. Then, and we never really heard from him after that. Obviously injured 2020, but didn't get any production out of him for two years. Basically. It's the Will Hernandez effect. Uh, he was, uh, showed promise somewhat, somewhat promise his rookie year and then just continued to got to get worse. Yeah. Why don't you talk to us about DraftKings, and then we'll finish off with another rookie. 
Oh, yeah, we'll finish off with another rookie. I also have a question for you about a segment this offseason. Are we bringing it back? Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between... 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern to see what prop bet will be boosted. Joe's McFly and I will be in Arizona. The DraftKings Sportsbook is sending us. Thank you to DraftKings. We are going to gamble our little butts off responsibly, and we're going to win some money. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code WORLD. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly, only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code WORLD. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, Timon Fox, we'll finish off with him quickly. 25 years old, six foot three, 260 pounds. The only undrafted free agent uh, to make the initial 53-man roster out of camp. Had 24 tackles, a sack, three tackles for loss, a QB hit, and five pressures. Uh, obviously didn't play much. I mean, he actually got more snaps than I thought, but I think a, a lot came in garbage time and versus the Eagles. Uh, that last week of the season. I will say, for a guy who you don't have much hope for, like he rushes with a plan. And that's why he had all that production at UNC, you know, where I think he is the UNC sack holder over Lawrence Taylor. Like he really does rush with a plan. And in the run game, like he knows how to read, like, yo, I got to pull her, I'm going to spill, or I'm going to squeeze it down and then disengage. So for a guy who's the fifth edge on a team of bad edge product, edge back, edge depth. He did have some plays here or there that were nice to watch. Oh, yeah. I, I I loved Timon Fox for the role that he played this year. And I actually think it's one of the it's one of the team's best stories. Was there another any other UDFA that made the team? Ryder Anderson, but that wasn't Ryder the initial fifty three. Right. That wasn't the initial fifty three. So um credit to Timon Fox. I think he is a better football player than O'Shane Zimenez. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, definitely. Cause he's definitely better in the run game. Uh, yeah. And he at least rushes with a plan where he can have some like quick initial wins, even though he's not going to win consistently at all. So, yeah. f- uh, excited for him in camp. F- and he's did- like the, he's like the guy that whenever there's like a last ditch, I think there was another play in the regular season where this happened besides the preseason game against the Bengals. Whenever there's like a last ditch Hail Mary effort of a team doing like laterals or whatever, Timon Fox is always there and like he's blows the whoever the, the sideline kill somebody guy. Yeah, yeah. He did he in the did Jags game and then the and then the preseason game versus the Bengals. The Jags game. There you go. Uh yeah, he is the designated kill anybody trying to get to the sideline guy. <laughs> Alright, that's an episode. Whoa. Ellerson Smith's future. Go. Uh cut. Oh, tough. All right. Are we bringing back giant stories? I don't know. Should we? Tough. How how much work is it for you to compile Instagram stories? No, it's easy. It's just it's is, easy? It, is it is it a good segment? All right, well, we have to ask. We have to ask the people. But most people don't know and the people that are going to vote are going to say yes because they like the giants. It's I don't I don't know. It's it's just to me is it is it a good segment? I actually like doing it because it helps you keep up with 
what the guys are doing in the offseason. I kind of like it, too. You get a social media clip here or there when you keep up for it with it. Yeah, I, I, I kind of do like it. We don't even have to like fully expand upon it, where he asked me what piqued my interest, and we need to have a full conversation on it. Literally, I think you just got to have that. Literally, just just say what they're what they're up to, and then I'll just say like one thing that piqued my. We don't need to go through like five different people. We'll just say one thing, and if there's anything else that's funky, then we'll talk about it, and then that's it. That's giant stories. All right. Well, I'm adding the first one for this year. Giant stories. Jack Anderson. Jack Anderson. Tugan, tune into the next episode to see what he what happened. Oh yeah, so pumped to see what Jack Anderson's up to. All right, that's an episode. Any anything else before we go? No, nothing else. Uh, hope uh, I hope Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka are still on the Giants staff. By Friday. Yeah, please. I do not want to do offensive defensive coordinator searches. No. Not feeling up to it. I really don't want to. You seem like something's bothering you. I don't want to do an offensive or defensive coordinator search. Uh, amen. Uh, I'm, I Hasht- could lose good, two good coaches. Don't want that. Hashtag worried. Yeah, I made sure to put the hashtag in there for that. To mm-hmm. let people know like I'm actually worried. Yeah. All right, we appreciate you guys. We'll see you on Friday. Not sure what we're doing. Uh, and we need we we should probably talk this week, Justin, to figure out a schedule for our next three episodes because we're going to be in Daytona for one of those. So, yes, we will. Also, I was thinking Daytona live show is going to be too hard to do. Not enough planning. I think what we should just tell people is Friday night truck race. Come up, turn one, and the tallest come have a fun time with us. Okay. Well, are we recording? We do have to record a yeah, talk. Yeah, we're going to record an episode there, but we got to figure out what episode we want to do while we're okay. there. Okay. I think we have have we should just do our February mailbag. Here's the thing: is mailbags in the off season like need hours Prep. of research yeah. and good work into them. So, I, I I'm trying to figure out somebody related to NASCAR who would be a good interview at the track that's going to be there. But this. I, I went through Giants. I went through like a bunch of drivers' <laughs> profiles and just like searched the word Giants on their profile to see if any. The only one is um, what's the guy who who's he went to? He's like a Duke guy and he like talked about Daniel Jones balling out. Steve Toronto told me about it. So, so I want to get some type of driver or some player that'll be there or something. But let's get Antonio Williams back on. He'll uh, he'll spill the secrets now that he's not on the team anymore. Yeah, maybe he will. All right, we appreciate you guys. We'll see you on Friday. Until then, let's go Big Blue.